Well, I'm back from Australia, and uh, what a blessing. I, I'm going to tell you guys this. The, the conference happens every beginning week of July, and I would encourage you guys to possibly think about actually raising money and spending the week of vacation going over there to Australia with us next year. See, it was such a, a revelation in my life and an inspiration when you get together, um, basically 30,000 people are there together worshiping. It's the largest conference like this in all of the country of Australia, Christian or not. These guys do this huge thing. And they had heavy hitters speaking, and we were just getting blessed. And we brought some of our staff, and it was just good bonding time with the staff. But there's some of the younger guys, the college-age guys came along. Um, they were getting blessed. There was a couple other families from church here that were there, and it was just unreal. When you're worshiping together in an arena full of 30,000 people worshiping Jesus, it's close to heaven. I got to tell you, it's unreal. You get in there and it's like some people are there and you can tell like they're not really into the worshiping thing. And maybe they're like a different denomination or something where they're kind of a little bit more laid back and they're singing, you know, a little bit more like, oh, you know, we don't, we don't raise hands, you know, in, a, in our denomination. But you get in that room and you watch people and you're just like, oh, this is good. Yeah. And God's filling the place and the Holy Spirit is there. And you see people just like, You know, and then they're just like, ah, you know, by the end of it, people are in there and you cannot help but just fall at the feet of Jesus Christ, lift your hands, whatever, and just worship with 30,000 other people that are all in one room simply for Jesus Christ. That's heavy, man. That's like, oh my gosh. And then just we're hearing from people like um, Brian Houston, Stephen Furtick, uh, Joseph Prince, Joyce Meyer, Louis Giglio. These are like heavy hitters. And it's just like, taking notes nonstop, and there's just so much I can't even process it. I had to come back, and I have to, like, just look at the notes one, time, one sermon at a time because it's so good. But seriously, if you're thinking about doing something and you want to be blessed, come with us next year. It was amazing. Plus, we get to eat fish and chips all the time. We get to eat meat pies. Come on, meat pies. You guys ever had a meat pie? Who's had a meat pie? An Aussie meat pie, the real deal. Those things are good. They're addicting. You guarantee gain weight when you come to Australia, but so worth it. So worth it. Um, but we were eating the fish and chips, the kebabs, they call them over there. Kebabs. Let's go for a kebab. Kebabs. I actually ate a crocodile meat burger. How's that one? That was good, too. It, it, it tasted different from chicken, different from beef. It was all its own. And it's a crocodile. And I was so excited to be eating that. Some of our gang uh, ate kangaroo steaks and stuff. And I'm just like, ew. It sounds ew, right? But then we eat pigs. Come on. Think about it. <laughs> right? Oh, that's so gross. You eat a kangaroo. You eat a pig that wallows in its own, you know what, and you're bacon, mmm, right? Anyways, it's good to be back. It's good to be home worshiping with you guys, and, and it's, it's cool to be inspired by what big churches are doing and all of that and stuff, but their whole goal is like empowering and championing, championing the cause of the local church, and it's so exciting to come back here and see that we have collision coming out. We have baptisms coming on. And we have all of our kids, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, getting blessed and serving our community. We have an opportunity for our church to give to reach the nations by the 10 kids that are coming in to stay from Japan. We get to help sow the seeds. And even if you're like, I don't have any time, well, drop some money in there. Support these kids. It takes a lot for us to bless them. But all of this stuff, it's just exciting to come home to my local church family. And you guys are great. I'm just blessed to be here this morning. Anybody happy to be here in church this morning? I hope so. Amen. Well, we're jumping into 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and if you have your Bibles, please take them out, follow along, because we got a long one today, and i got to get through, guess how many verses? 58 verses today. Are you guys ready? Hold on, hit the guy next to you, say, wake up, we got to stay awake for this. 59 verses we're going through, 58 verses here today, I'm trying to stretch it, 59. 58 verses we're going through, but it's good. It's solid informational stuff. It's stuff that gets us inspired, but it's also stuff that we just need to know that our, our theology, the faith on which we stand, is a sure foundation. And it's all based on this one thing that Jesus did, which was the resurrection. Well, it's actually kind of a, a package deal. The fact that he came and he died for our sins to say, I'm taking your sins on me and I'm putting them to death and I'm conquering them so you'll never have to deal with them ever again and you can have eternal life with me. Well, the fact that he died for our sins is cool, but if he stayed dead... We would have nothing. And that's what Paul's talking about here today is it's all about the resurrection. If Jesus died and stayed dead and we could go and visit his grave or his tomb and he's in there, his remains, that doesn't really make him any better than Confucius, Buddha, Muhammad. All of those, those guys, you can find their graves, you can find their remains. 
But praise God for Jesus Christ, who's bigger and above all of that, who actually said, go to my grave. No one's home. <laughs> no one's there. You're not going to find me. In fact, people saw me alive. I proved it to you. I proved that I died for your sins and destroyed sin and death completely once and for all by overcoming death and coming back to life three days later. And you can just imagine God in heaven, right? God the Father, Jesus comes back, and his only son is up there crucified, murdered for our sins. And on that third day, what a joyous day that was, that Jesus comes up and just high-fives the Father. Yeah, we did it. Yeah, son, we got this one. The Holy Spirit's like, yep, I can't wait to get down there and do my business with those guys too. What an awesome day. And Paul is trying to remind us here in, in chapter 15, the resurrection is everything, guys. You can't just have a, a God that died for you and stayed dead. We've got a God that conquered sin and death and shame and all of that in our lives, and we have reason to rejoice. And he's reminding the First Corinthian church, or sorry, the, the church of Corinth, he's reminding them here in First Corinthians 15, guys, remember that the resurrection really did happen, and without it, we would have nothing. And because of it, we have a lot. We have all kinds of stuff. We have the life that we have now. Some of the people in Corinth were actually getting to the point where they were getting watered down. Paul had been with them, started the church a couple years previous, had been there a year and a half, preached to them the real, true, pure gospel of Jesus Christ. They kind of had forgotten it. So he writes this whole letter to kind of get them back on track and remember who they are and what they stand for. Well, in this, this part right here, he's reminding them, wow, some of you guys, from what I'm hearing, you're denying that there's a resurrection of the dead, which basically means you're denying that Christ raised from the dead, which basically takes apart everything else in our faith, and our faith would be useless. And he's trying to come back in there and remind them the power that's in the resurrection. Don't we need reminding sometimes of how powerful God is in our lives? Some of you guys, I know you walked in here today already, and you're doubting God. You may not think so. I'm in church, and no, I'm good. But really, we're not surrendering complete control. We're not taking steps of faith because we're putting God in a little box and saying he's only as powerful as I think he is. Well, in a sense, that's true. We limit God on our own when our faith is small and we're just not believing that he can do everything in our lives. We're limiting how powerful he can be. And we need to be reminded that the resurrection is powerful. It changed our life. It changed everything. It opens up all these new avenues. It's the foundation for our faith. Just like when we take communion here in the morning, we are reminding ourselves, Jesus said, please do this in remembrance of me. Remember, he said, I know you're going to forget who I am and what I did for you. So do this to remind yourself that I went to that cross for you that I suffered and died for you. But then the resurrection reminds us, hey, we have power now because of it. So there was a British agnostic that once said this. I read this quote. Let's not discuss the other miracles. Let's discuss the resurrection. Because if the resurrection is true, then the other miracles are easily explained. But if the resurrection is not true, the other miracles do not matter. That's how heavy it is that we need to believe that Jesus died from the that he died for us and he rose from the dead. And then Paul gets into today some interesting stuff. He begins to describe and tell us what's going to happen to us at, at, after we are resurrected from the dead and how it all applies to us. So let's jump in because we got a lot of verses to cover. So are we fired up on the word of God this morning? How many of you guys are fired up if I didn't even say another word and simply just read one whole chapter in the Bible this morning? The Bible is that good, folks. You got to know that, right? So I'm going to be talking minimally, but the Bible speaks for itself. So let's look at verse 1 here, the foundational truth of our faith. Paul says, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. He says, I passed on to you what was most important. Say most important. You got to catch that what Paul is saying here isn't like, oh, let me give you some tips and advice and some little helpful stuff. He's saying, guys, your very faith is built on this. This is most important. I said it before. I'll say it again. He says, I passed it on and what had also been passed on to me. And here's what the message is. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He goes, this is true. You can hold on to this. And in fact, he's now going to give us some evidence. He goes, you know what? This happened when he's writing to them from Ephesus. He's writing to the church at Corinth. He, he's writing to them. And as he's writing, Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave only 20 years earlier. So it hasn't even been that long. So a lot of these guys are alive, but they're already doubting the resurrection. And so he says, he says this. He gives them proof. In verse, starting in verse 5, he goes, you know, Jesus, when he resurrected, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, 
He was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. He's going, why are you guys not believing this? There's people you can go talk to that actually saw him alive. He's giving all this proof to say, this really happened. How come you guys are getting confused? How come people are talking you out of your faith? Remember to hold on. This really happened. Um, He goes down to verse 7. He says, then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. The significance of him saying he was seen by James is this. The James he's talking about is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. It's his very own brother, right? Mary and Joseph, one of the brothers that he had, was James. And now this James he's talking about did not believe in Jesus while Jesus was alive here on earth prior to his death and resurrection. It it actually says it in Matthew that uh, all of his brothers didn't believe in him. So they thought, look, you're in our family. Our dad's Joseph, Carpenter's son. Who do you think you are saying you're the Messiah? What? No way. I don't believe in you at all. I don't know how you're doing all those miracles and all that magic. I don't know what's up your sleeve or up your robe, but ah, we don't believe it. We don't buy it, right? This is that same very James that when the resurrection happened, he's willing to say, I know it. I believe it. I saw it. My brother is back to life. He's walking around. And not only is he a full believer, but he actually becomes one of the greatest pillars in the early church, one of the greatest leaders. So for him to say, look, even James saw Jesus, they're going, that's true. We can't deny that. That guy didn't believe in him, but now afterwards he's, he's all about it. He says, James and later all the apostles, last of all, though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Paul said, I also saw him on the road to Damascus when I was out to kill his people. Jesus Christ resurrected, appeared to me, blinded me, spoke to me, and put me on mission for him for all the rest of the days of my life. So even Paul goes, you know, I was kind of born in the wrong time. I didn't get to be around. I wasn't a follower when he was here, but I saw him afterwards, and it changed my whole life. Verse 9, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Paul knew he didn't deserve the grace that was shown to him through the resurrection, but that was what drove him. That was his passion. He says, but whatever I am now, whatever you want to call me, apostle or whatever, he says, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. For I've worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who is working through me by his grace. He's not bragging to say like, I've worked harder. He's basically said, because I understand the grace that was shown me and the life that I came from and what God did for me through the resurrection, man, I gave it my all. I worked harder than anybody because I knew that I was an enemy of Jesus before the resurrection. But when I experienced Jesus in that power, man, I I went at it with a passion. And didn't Paul think about that? You think about that when Paul says, I worked harder. Paul was the guy that was tearing it up around the known world at that time. He went around everywhere he could being a missionary, talking about Jesus Christ, planting churches, discipling people. He dealt with persecution. He dealt with ridicule. He dealt with being whipped, being stoned, being stoned with rocks being stoned, being, being beaten, being whipped within inches of his life, being uh, shipwrecked, being bit by snakes. Paul was like, you know what? I know what God did for me. I know what I was saved from. I know how bad I was before. This is what the resurrection means to you guys. Let me remind you. And so he's just saying, I worked hard. But then he says this in verse 11, which is a kind of a theme of Paul throughout the New Testament. So it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message that you have already believed. And this is one of Paul's reoccurring themes in scripture is that the message is always more important than the messenger. Amen? That, that says that just because I'm up here on stage and I've got a good message, and you're going, wow, how does Pastor Carl give that sermon? And when I go share with my friends, I can barely get the words out. This means that when Tim over here is, is worried that he's nervous and it's whatever, you know what Tim did this morning? He delivered the word of God to us this morning. And the message is what counts. It's not the messenger. So, Tim, you need to be encouraged. You brought it this morning. Don't even doubt yourself. You brought the word of God, and you challenged us, and that's good. And here's the Apostle Paul saying it doesn't even matter. You know, I go to these big conferences, and I look at all these people, and I'm listening to their sermons, and they're so eloquent, and they got such power when they preach, and they say all this, and I get intimidated. Oh, man, I'm, I'm junk. I suck compared to these guys. I got to go back, and how come people even come to my church? Like, what's the deal? You know, and, and I get all beaten up, and then God just reminds me, it's because you're speaking my words, not your own. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, that's right, right? Isn't that a good word for us is that you just speak about the things of God, and as I talked to my friend this morning, Paul, he's going to go visit some of his friends from his previous before Christian days. He's about to go, and he's going to go shine the light, and, and we were talking about the one thing that the devil can never steal from you is your own testimony is you just testifying of God's message in your heart. It doesn't matter what the messenger is all about. It just matters what God, the message is in you that changes you. Amen? 
So here's Paul saying that. It doesn't really matter. But he's saying, how can you guys not believe it? All these people saw it. The Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled. And Paul is making a statement to say, man, I work hard at it because I understand the grace of God that's poured out through me through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think the question for us this morning is, can we be like Paul and can we really understand? Because in order to really live the life that God wants us to in understanding the resurrection, we have to receive the message, we have to believe the message, we have to walk in that message of salvation that was preached and, and the resurrection and the power. And here's Paul saying, man, I get that. I get the grace. I understand. And I heard a, a sermon recently preached like this. Or it was just like a teaching. It was a workshop or something at the conference. It was talking about the, the kind of a heart that God looks for in all of us, but the kind of heart that we should look for in people that serve in the church, people that work in the church, but all of the amazing hundreds of volunteers that this church is made up of every single week. The ushers, the cameramen, the people teaching our Sunday school services, the ones teaching the classes, the greeters, the welcome lounge people, all of you guys and all that you do. And it's saying, here's the kind of heart that we should have. And he kind of mentioned this in passing, and I believe this is the response that we should take in, in understanding the resurrection and what it did for us, the kind of heart that Paul had. He said this, the guy that was talking said, we're not just looking for willing volunteers, willing servants. We're looking for wanting volunteers. You guys see the difference there? Two different words, willing and wanting. And there's a lot of places in Scripture it says, oh, we, God wants a willing heart or whatever. But I think you kick it up a notch when you say a wanting heart. Because you know that there's a difference. When God says, I want cheerful givers, he's not saying, oh, I want people that kind of give, and he says this in Scripture, reluctantly, but they do it anyway because they're, oh, I'm willing. I guess I'll do it. I guess I have to do this thing. But he's looking for people that are cheerful givers that say, the word cheerful means with hilarity. That you're just like, oh my gosh, yes, God, I am so on board with what you're doing. Here's my tithe. Here's my giving. Let me support the homestay kids. Let me serve in my church. Let me run a camera because this church is awesome because God is here because God is moving. He's moving in my life. He's calling something out of me. So I'm going to step up because I want to serve my God. Amen? Amen? This is the kind of heart that Paul said. He goes, he goes let me at him. I'm going to get out there in the world. I'm telling everybody. I don't care. Whip me, whatever it takes. I'm out there. And Paul is responding to the resurrection knowing full well the price that was paid for him. And we got to be a church and a people that says the resurrection's a big deal. What Jesus did for me is a big deal. I better live my life for him. And I better want to do it, not just be willing to do it. Big difference between willing and wanting. I want to be a guy that lives my life with a wanting heart, right? The big difference is next Friday, I make 16 years of marriage to my wife. I know, I'm soaked. Yeah, I'm very happy with that. But what I think of is 16 years ago on the wedding day, when I asked my wife to marry me, you know, and, and, the, and the pastor said, hey, will you, you know, take Carl, blah, 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 blah. And she didn't just willingly say, I guess so. I got nothing else to do with the next half of my life, you know. Ah, I might as well marry you. Wait, is there anybody else that I think is better here? All right, Carl, I'll go with you, right? She didn't willingly just kind of like, well, I'm willing to do this. She basically said, I do, and she was fired up, and she wanted to, and I wanted to, and that's what makes kids, right? When you just, <laughs> you love each other and you decide that makes happy life, right? Because we wanted to. And here's the thing with what Paul is trying to say is, guys, the resurrection means everything. Do you realize what God did for you? What he, he did to bring salvation and forgiveness and all of this? We should want to live for him. This is how important it is. And then look at verse 12, because we got to get through these verses. Um, nothing works without it. Verse 12 says, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. Your faith is useless. It's kind of a downer. He's going, really? If you guys believe this, then we got nothing. Then all of our preaching, useless. All of your faith, what, really, what are you believing in? A God that doesn't have power to do what he said he was going to do. He says, and we apostles, we'd all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. What a bummer, yeah? These people are thinking, yeah, life is good. Like, nope, if he never raised, he never gave you that power to defeat sin in your life, then you're still walking around guilty and condemned and held responsible for all the faults and all the mistakes that you make. Then you're bummed because you're just, you're no good. Praise God for Jesus, right? And we're going to get to that in a minute here. It says, um, in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. 
all the Christians that have gone before and they're, and they're gone, there's no hope of heaven for them either because without the resurrection, there's nothing. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, then we are, to be, we are more to be pitied than everyone in the world, than anyone in the world. If we're trying to live for this God that's not really a real God, then how ridiculous do we look? How much are we wasting our life and our time if God really isn't who he said he is? But, and here comes the big but in Scripture, and it's a lot, of, a lot of times it's really good to look for the big buts in Scripture, right? I like big buts in the Bible, and I cannot lie, right? Because with the big buts in Scripture always comes the big, heavy, good, godly statement, amen? And so we look for those big buts, and we go, oh, there's a big but. What's going to happen here? He said, without the resurrection, life is meaningless, faith is meaningless, everything is useless, but I like big buts, and I cannot lie. Here we go. But in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead. Somebody say amen to that, or I quit right now, right? If we cannot be stoked on the fact, but it is true. Christ did raise from the dead. How stoked are we? Look what he says. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. That means he's going to raise first, and then all of us that believe in him. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, who sinned, who brought sin into the world, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. There's a verse in Romans 5.19. It says, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Praise God for Jesus. Praise God for the resurrection. It says, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, this is after at the end of time and the resurrection, after that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. Praise God. For the scripture says, God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things, that does not include God himself who gave Christ his authority. Then when all things are under his authority, the son will put himself under God's authority so that God who gave his son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. Eventually, God is going to make everything right. All the wrong that we see in the world after everything is said and done, he's been resurrected. We're going to be resurrected. All the authority is going to be given over him. Sin is not going to be running rampant. Everything is going to be put in its proper place. Praise God. And that's us for all of eternity. But he's getting onto this thing saying, but if Christ wasn't raised, man, you guys would be a sorry lot. Then we got nothing. But the fact is that Christ was raised from the dead. And, and this is the kicker, that very same power that raised a man from a grave that died, went into a grave on a Friday evening, that brought him back to life on a Sunday morning, that same power is available to you and me. Isn't that crazy to think about? It's almost like so heavy to think about that we, we don't even want to think about it. We just think, yeah, right, whatever. I'll pray and hopefully something happens. But God is really saying, no, that same power is in you. Look at, there's two verses for it. Ephesians 1.19 says, I also pray that you will understand, because we don't understand, the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power. Say the word same. Same, same tells us that exactly what happened to Christ is now at work in our lives if we would accept it and walk in that and believe it. The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Romans 8.11 says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. You know, this tells me is because Christ Jesus was raised from the dead, that same mighty power is available in me I get to understand that God's power is in my life. That every single day I can pray and stuff actually happens. I'm not just flicking a, a penny in a wishing well and going, well, that's good luck or whatever. I actually understand that the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in my life. And when I read your guys' praise reports on those cards that you fill out, I just get so blessed and inspired. I'm almost driven to tears sometimes because I'm just like, I'm so happy for people. Like, I get such a kick out of seeing God work in people's lives. When people are like, God did this, God, I'm just like, yeah. You know, I just get so fired up. And I see, because of God's power in my life, my marriage has been saved. And I'm just like, yeah, that's so good. Because that means someone was 
hurting, was on the rocks, was about to lose their spouse, and God's power came in and put that back together. That's awesome. Someone got healed of, of sickness or cancer or whatever, and you know where that power came from? The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is at work in our lives. If we would walk this thing out, if we would be reminded of the resurrection power, these miracles can happen. Because of the resurrection, I can have faith in Jesus Christ and in God the Father. And when I go to him in prayer, I know that he's going to do something. And when I open his word every day in my devotions, I read this stuff, and it's not like, oh, that's kind of neat inspirational quotes. That's cool. Deep thoughts by Jack Handy, right? You know, remember that one, Saturday Night Live, those deep thoughts? It's more than that, right? We can read the word with confidence going, this speaks to my life. And if I live according to this, my life will be made, power, made better by the power that's in the word of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? There's a lot of stuff that the resurrection does for us. It boosts our faith. It tells us that we're forgiven. We don't have to look at our past anymore, our sins, our guilt. That's all been paid for us. The debt has been paid. No guilt, no shame. We have, and this is what's really important to me, a restored relationship with God the Father. We have an intimate relationship with God the Father. We were once separated from God, deserving of hell. But because of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, we are now called friends. We are now taken beyond that level. We are called his own kids, sons and daughters of the Father of all of creation. That's heavy. That means that we now have an intimacy with God that the world will not understand. Just like you have an intimacy with your family members. How many of you guys, for your family members, you have nicknames? for one another, right? You have nicknames that roll around. Why? Because you know them intimately. You have these special names, and it's like a special name that you've given. Sometimes other people call them by the name, but you're the one that came up with it because you know them intimately, and you can call them this. Like my daughter, she's 13 years old. Kylie, I call her Kai Kai or Little K or Little Wonder, right? If she was sitting here right now, she'd be really embarrassed. But I have these names for her because we have a close relationship. I've been calling her this since she was a little baby, right? And my son Isaac, he's 11 years old. Nickname, anybody knows nickname? Buzz, exactly. His name is Buzz, and we call him the buzzard, or we call him all kind of variations of that, but it's because I have this intimate relationship with him. I can call him these nicknames. My youngest daughter, four years old, Samantha, Sammy, we call her, this is my, some of you guys might have heard me call her this, but since she was a little chubby, chubby baby, I always called her Meatball, because she was like a little round, chubby kid, right? So it stuck, so now I call her Meatball, and I've just shortened it to Ball. I go, hey, Ball, and people are like at the beach going, what, are you calling your kid Ball? Like what? That's rude. You know, I'm like, no, hey, ball, come here. And it's just this intimate thing that I have in my family, right? My wife calls her that too. The, the brothers and sisters do. The reason is we have this tight relationship that's so special that I have nicknames for my kids, right? They have nicknames for me. It changes every day. You don't even want to know them. I don't even like to hear them, but that's just the way it is. But here's, here's a really cool story because this is the resurrection power made this possible that I got this intimate relationship with God. I want to tell you a story real quick. One of my favorite stories about Pastor Tom. Pastor Tom, Tom Tom Landeza, him, him and I grew up together from like junior high age. So I got lots of stories I could tell, some of them not fit for church, but I got a lot of good stories about him. But one of my favorites is this. A few years back, he was going through a really, really rough season in his life, a hard time, a dark place, a valley, right? And a lot of us have those things, and we hold on to God. And, and we went, and we went to this um, lady that had a prophetic ministry, that she was gifted, as we read about in, in Scripture a few weeks back, she had the gift of prophecy, speaking words over people that is God speaking to them, not her. No knowledge of, of my life or anything, but God's telling her things to say. So we went and we got prayed for and we're just like, oh God, that's so amazing. That's so confirming. We need to hear that at that time. And it was real. It wasn't like general stuff like, oh, I got a word from God. He loves you. Yeah, he loves everyone, doesn't he? It wasn't that kind of broad prophecy. It was like legit stuff in our lives. And we're just blessed and we waited. Tom went to go get prayed for and Tom's getting prayed for and she's saying, and God would say this to you. And she began to pray over him like God speaking. And, and she said this, I want to encourage you and I want to do this in your life, Sam. And Sam, I believe that da 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 And Sam, Sam, and we're going, Sam, oh my gosh, got his name wrong. Right, we're all laughing. And we're like, his name's Tom. His name's Tom. And she's like, and Sam, I want to, I know, I know. And we're like, no, his name's Tom. You keep calling him Sam. No, I know. And we're like, why does she say she knows? And she keeps on calling him Sam. So we're like laughing about it like, oh man, what is going on? She gives Tom these amazing words, and Tom comes back to us afterwards. And it was my wife, or someone said, Tom, she fully had your name wrong. How come she was doing that? And we're all, like, laughing. We wanted to tease him, right? And he just, he just, just real seriously, silently just says, God calls me Sam. Right? And we're just like, oh. 
you know, just like, sorry, you know, like, what does that mean? And so later on, we went and asked him, and, and what he, he told me was this, is he was at a place where he was asking God, God, show me my identity. Show me how you see me. Show, show me who I am so I can live for you the best that I possibly can. And God gave him a picture, and this is kind of a neat thing, it's kind of funny, is from the movie Lord of the Rings, the guy Sam, Samwise Gamgee, that was the loyal companion. And, and basically, in so many words, and I don't, you'd have to ask Tom for all the details, but basically God was using a kind of a picture to say, you're like that guy. Those are your gifts, loyalty and strength and holding on and trusting and being a part of that fellowship of the ring and all this and whatever. Tom, Tom had a really cool thing, the kind where you're just like chicken skin, like, oh my gosh, that is amazing. But it was so amazing that God had a nickname for Tom that only Tom knew about. And that is only made possible by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You guys get that? He's got nicknames for all of us. He knows us intimately. And some of you guys are going, I know what God calls me, and I'm so ashamed of it. Or, but you don't have to be because God's going, look, I know all your weaknesses. I know your strengths. And you know that this is kind of how I see you. And that's cool. But that's made possible by the resurrection, the hope of eternity that we have now. We don't fear death. When we go to heaven, we're, it's going to be family reunion, yeah? It's going to be so cool. We don't worry about that. We've got purpose in life. We know that every day when we wake up, no matter how good or bad or, or weak or strong or whatever we are, we're, our purpose in life is to do our best and to live for God and serve him with what we got. Don't compare yourself to anybody else on this planet. Just say, God, I'm yours. What do you want me to do for you? I'm wanting. I'm not just willing. I'm wanting to serve you, right? All because of the resurrection, well, we got more verses to go, and I'm going long. Here we go. Verse 29, weird verse in Scripture. Look at this one. Some of you guys may have read this one before. Verse 29 says, Paul's arguing, like, you don't believe in the resurrection? How come you're doing this? He says, if the dead will not be raised, what point is there in people being baptized for those who are dead? Why do it unless the dead will someday rise again? This is the only time in Scripture where this practice is ever mentioned, that people who are living would be baptized for those that are dead so that they can find salvation and they can make it to heaven. It's a weird verse in there. Some other religions make a whole doctrine and a whole practice of this. But we understand that this is only one time it's mentioned. Paul's not teaching we should do it or shouldn't do it. He's just saying, how dumb do you guys look and that you're baptizing people who are dead so that they can make it to heaven, but you don't really believe that there is a resurrection and a heaven. I don't, I don't get that. You guys are weird. You're contradicting yourselves. That's what he's saying. But just so you know, to clarify this verse, why is it saying people should be baptized for the dead? Everywhere else we read in Scripture about baptism, it's that individual's personal choice, isn't it? I choose Jesus Christ, so I'm going to identify with him going under the water like this. We realize that it's something that you make, not someone that, well, I'm dead and I'm gone, but hopefully someone else, you know, my grandkids will get baptized for me. We don't ever see that anywhere else in Scripture. Here's a general rule to biblical practices. When we do practices such as communion, why do we do that? Well, here's a general rule in theology and in a big word they call hermeneutics, right? In Bible doctrine, in Bible school, they tell you this. If Jesus taught on it, if the early Acts church practiced it, and it's written about in the epistles and the letters, Paul's letters, then if all those three things kind of come into play, then that's probably a church practice that God is saying that we should all practice to this day. But if you only read in one place in the Bible this baptism of the dead thing, and you don't really see any further clarification. This isn't a practice that we should be going, well, I don't know if so-and-so back then, my great-grandfather was a Christian, so can I be baptized for him? We can't make it a practice. If Jesus didn't talk about it, the early church didn't, didn't practice it, and it's not even mentioned in the teaching epistles. Does that make sense? So we can't just go around making up our own kind of stuff. We got to be sure that it's really in the Bible, because here's what I know about the Word of God, is the Word of God backs itself up. The word of God comes through and it always backs itself up and proves to be true. So let's go on. And Paul says, why are you even doing this if you don't believe in the baptism of the dead? Verse uh, 30. Why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? For I swear to your brothers and sisters that I face death daily. This is as certain as my pride in what Jesus Christ our Lord has done in you. What value was there in fighting wild beasts, those people of Ephesus, if there will be no resurrection from the dead. Next time someone irritates you, just call him a wild beast because Paul did it, so maybe he's given us permission. How weird is that? He goes, why would I go through all of this hardship? Why would I live my life like this if there was no resurrection of the dead? Come on, guys, look at me. Look at how I live my own life. Why would I put up with these wild beasts of people if it wasn't that I believed in Jesus Christ and his resurrection? And he says, and if there's no resurrection, then you know what? Let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. But he says, don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. 
Don't let anybody talk you out of your faith. Don't let anybody come alongside. Here's, here's the lesson. Tune out all the other voices and tune into Jesus. Tune into his word because that's absolute truth. Tune in in prayer and listen to what he says. Don't believe all the other voices that are saying, oh, Christianity's not real and you don't need to do this and you don't need to do that. The resurrection can't be real. That's impossible, right? Sometimes it's your own voice talking. I talked to a friend of mine this morning who said he, he's got plans to be a pastor and do this, all this stuff, but then the little voice comes inside and it's, it's the enemy, but sometimes it's our own voice saying, you could never do that. Who do you think you are? All of this. Tune out those voices and tune in to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Don't listen to that stuff. Think carefully about what's right and stop sinning. For to, you, to your shame, I say that some of you don't know God at all. He's going, I don't even know if you guys are saved the way you, you're believing this. He goes on, he says, but someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? This is a good question. Like, I want to know what, what kind of bodies will they have, right? And they're asking this. And here's what Paul says. What a foolish question. Oh, thanks. Right? I had that good question. I thought it was a good one. You said it's foolish. Paul's saying it's hard to describe what's going to happen to our bodies, but let me give you something that it's kind of like. He says, when you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. Then God gives it a new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh, one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and the stars each have another kind, and even the stars differ from each other in their glory. It's the same with the resurrection of the dead. He's talking about us. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scripture tells us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man. Heavenly people are like heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. So we are not going to be in this body forever. Can some of you guys say amen to that? Because I don't know about you, but there's days I wake up, look in the mirror, and I just get bummed. Oh, man. Oh, God, I got this flaw, I got that flaw. You know, and we look at ourselves, and we look at weight, and we look at height, and we look at too bald, too hairy, too, you know, too many pimples, too this, too that. And how come, oh, why am I stuck with this? And what God's saying is, it's not going to be that way forever. What you have right now, don't worry, that's not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're going to have strong bodies, perfect bodies, glorious bodies, and it's going to be good. So just hold on, wear this one out, use it while you can, but it's going to get better. He says, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. We who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. And this is such an awesome scripture right here. It's made up of a couple... Uh, uh, references to Psalms and Isaiah. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. Here we go, verse 57. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? That's good that sin and death, we don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. We're going to get new transformed bodies. I don't really know what they look like. It's like a seed that grows a new plant. I don't know, but it's going to be good. It's going to be better. And we're going to be in heaven with God. Eventually, here's what it's basically saying is we win. Guys, let me just cut to the end of the book. We win. We are, we are in this life, we are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory because we've already won. We're on the winning team. We get new bodies. We get all of this. This is the resurrection power that's been made available to us. We should be fired up to live every, every day knowing we've already won. I love that, that, that this is what the resurrection did for us. But here's the, here's the temptation that the early church had that we would have today. 
oh, I know I win in the end. I'm excited. I've got resurrection power. I might as well just kick back a little bit and just enjoy the rest of the ride, right? Isn't that kind of a temptation? If you know you've already won something, don't you kind of just like put the brakes on? You don't have to try as hard. Isn't that like a natural tendency? Just nod your heads yes and like, yes, Carl, we agree with you. Thank you. That is a natural tendency. That's why Paul has this last verse where he says this in verse 58. So, my dear brothers and sisters, after you know that you've already won, you're fighting from victory, he says this, be strong and immovable. Don't kick back. Be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever, is ever useless. Everything you do in life matters. No matter if it's small and you think you're not seeing results, God says it matters. No matter if you already go, but God, we already won. I'm going to get a new body. It's cool. I know where I'm going. God says, keep going and go harder. He says, work enthusiastically. The word work enthusiastically is, is basically what it's saying right here is work abundantly over and above exceedingly. In other words, go big for God. Yeah, you won already, but keep going big. Push the limits. Get uncomfortable. Give it all you got. I want to tell you about a guy, and I want to end with this story. A guy in this world that is not even a Christian, but inspires me to think like what Paul is saying right here is, even though you've accomplished it all, you have nothing to lose, you still have a lot to gain. There's a guy by the name of Kelly Slater. Anybody ever heard of Kelly Slater? He is, I got a picture of him right there. He is our 11-time world surfing champion. Okay, this is the guy that Kanani said I look like, and I think that's the whole reason we got together was because she thought I looked like him. So I'll take it, man. Whatever gets me my wife, that's awesome, you know. She goes, oh, you look like Kelly Slater, you know. I'm like, I'll take it. Hey, whatever gets me in there. But this guy has won more world championships than any other professional surfer. The next closest guy has won four world titles in a row. And Kelly said that, you know, I'm going to go ahead and beat that record. I'm going to go ahead and get five in a row. And then he proceeded to get, other, not all in a row, but he's got 11 world titles, okay? Here's the deal about this guy. He was the youngest world champion at 20 years old, but he said, I think I'm going to keep going. He won the world title. He kept going. He broke the four in a row record. He got five. He kept on going. He kept on going. He's also been the oldest world champion surfer at 39 years old last year. He's 40 years old. He's still on the world championship tour right now competing with kids that could be his own kids. 19-year-olds, he's 40, and they're just going, hey, Grandpa, you know, they're looking at him, and the guy just keeps on going. He won't stop. And what's amazing about this guy is in any sport, can you imagine the longevity of any professional basketball, baseball, football player, whatever, that's been competing at, at the highest level in the world for 21 years? Whose body can handle that kind of stuff? But here's this guy, Kelly Slater. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He's the youngest world champ, the oldest world champ. He's had the most event wins, 50 of them over his career. He's won in small waves this size. He's won at Waimea Bay in the biggest. He won the Eddie Aikau. He's, he's been competing over 20 years. He wrote two books, and this is a big crowning achievement. He was on Baywatch, and he, he, he dated Pam Anderson. You guys remember Baywatch? Right? He was on Baywatch. Um, he's been in multiple surf videos. He has his own video game. Hinano Beer actually made a special can to celebrate when he won his eighth world title. Do we have a picture of that? The Slater. Eight world titles, they made a special beer can for him. How many of you guys can say you got a beer can named after you, right? Maybe that's not something to brag about, but he had it. He's recorded an album and toured with his band called The Surfers. Um, he's, he sits on the board of advisors for Sea Shepherd. You guys watch those guys on TV, The Sea Shepherd? It's pretty awesome. Um, he has been honored by the U.S. House of Representatives. He started a foundation to raise money for charities. He has his own brand of surf accessories. He has a side project called Kelly Slater Wave Company where he's trying to create the perfect artificial wave. Here's the thing that I get inspired by about Kelly Slater is the guy doesn't stop. He has nothing more to prove in the world of surfing, and yet he's 40 years old, and he's still out there, and he keeps pushing, and he keeps competing. That's inspiring. Those young 19-year-olds are like, just stop already. Give us chance, right? You're 40. Give it up already. You know, go into something. Take up golf, right? And, and they're just like, but they're inspired. And he keeps pushing. He keeps pushing. And Paul is saying, work enthusiastically. Just because you won already, there's still more to be gained. There is, in fact, this, this, this historic heat in surfing where the heat is the final, uh, in, the, in the final heat of the contest. It's like 30, 30 minutes long. It's the two top guys in the contest are surfing against each other. Now, now listen to this real carefully. The highest score you can get on any one wave in a heat is 10 full points, right? And the highest 
they give you in a heat, they, they measure your two highest top scoring waves. So the absolute highest score you could ever get would be a perfect 20. That would be a perfect heat. No one ever gets that. Well, in 2005, Kelly Slater got that. He was the first to get two tens in one heat. But let me tell you the circumstances around it. In the middle of this heat, he's got two tens. His, he's already, he can't get any better score. The competitor, it's never been done before. Kelly's the first one to do it. He would have to at least tie him and then have better backup scores. His competitor dislocates his shoulder. He's out for the remaining time in the heat. So Kelly Slater's out there by himself with like 15 minutes to go on the clock, already has a perfect score, the other competitor's not even competing against him anymore. He knows he has the, the whole championship tied up. He knows he wins the contest. He can't get a better score than that. He doesn't even have a competitor anymore. He's like us going, we win already. We're in this life and we're going to heaven. We have Jesus. We win already. So you would think this, Kelly, you might as well just take it easy and go cruise because no one could beat you at this moment in time. Just paddle back to the boat, paddle back to the beach. You're good. You're golden. You won already. Don't even need to keep on surfing. But he could have just literally just broken his board over his knee and said, I still win, right? But instead, you know what he does? This is pretty awesome. Somehow, as he's paddling out, he grabs a beer can from one of the guys sitting in the channel. This is at a reef break in Tahiti. And no one really sees it because the, the, the audience is far away and the cameras are on him. You can't see him like grab it. And he stashes it and he puts it, somehow holds it in his teeth. And he paddles into his next wave and the wave barrels over him. And so you can't see him for a few seconds, right? He comes out of the wave drinking a beer. He comes out, go, 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 and everyone's like, where'd that beer come from? What's going on? What's he doing, right? And he drinks his beer, and he throws the, the can up, and he gets like a 9.8. He almost got his third 10, right? He gets like a 9.8, and here's what I saw in that. Here's a guy that says, so what? I already have the whole contest signed, sealed, and delivered. I totally have nothing to lose, but you know what? I can still gain. I can still push my own limits. No one's ever drunk a beer before in the barrel and come out, right? And he does this awesome thing, and he goes on and he wins all these other further world titles. And here's what Paul is trying to say to us in that sense is keep going. Yeah, you have nothing to lose, but you still have a lot to gain. And you know how you, you, what you have to gain? There's three things that I see. Number one, if you keep working enthusiastically for God, having the information that says, I win already, I go to heaven, you keep, you keep pushing for God, all it does is strengthen your relationship with God. All it does is benefit you because you keep pushing into the things of God, seeing, God, what else can I accomplish? I know I'm already in the family, but what else can I do? Secondly, besides strengthening your walk with God, you inspire other people. Do you realize that, that sometimes people are just watching your life and you are living out the Christian message to them? You're a bigger message than they may have even received in their Bible that day because they see living proof because you keep on going strong. You inspire other people. Do you understand that, that you have that power within you to inspire others? See, we got to understand that we're not going to give up and just kick back and go into maintenance mode because we know we already win, but we're going to keep pushing because it inspires other people. Kelly Slater's inspiring 18 and 19-year-olds who are just going, how is this guy doing this? You know, he's 40, we're this age. How is that possible? I got to go harder, right? I want to win. I want to beat this guy finally. Someone needs to beat him. It's about time, right? But with us too, as we keep pushing, and the third thing that's most important, why we keep working enthusiastically, having known that we win already, is there are souls on the line. There are souls that need to be saved. There's your friends, your family, your, your coworkers, your classmates that are out there that need you to keep on pushing, to not kick back and go, well, I'm in the family of God, it's all good. No, there's people that need you to stand up, to work hard, to push them, to inspire them, and to give them what we have, the resurrection power of God. Paul says this in Philippians 1:21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We win either way. See, if we die, we know where we're going and praise God, we have victory and we're gonna live forever with new transformed bodies. But while we're still living and we're here and we're alive, our very reason we live is Christ, amen? And so we keep on pushing, we keep going and we keep on inspiring other people. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for your word, Lord, that is inspiring. We thank you for guys like Paul that you've placed... Um, throughout history, Lord, to motivate us, to write the scriptures, to encourage us, to show us how good you are, to remind us how good you are. Lord, I pray that we'd be a church that never forgets, that, Lord, it wouldn't take communion to remind us what you did when you died on the cross for us. Lord, we do it, but, Lord, we'd remember every day anyways. And, Lord, that we would take hold of that resurrection power that was made available, that changed everything. You did what no other professed God could do by rising from the dead. 
And Lord, that power, we see it at work in our very lives. We don't even need to be convinced of the people that saw him after he resurrected for 40 days on planet Earth. Lord, we know it ourselves. We've tasted it. We see the life-transforming power that's been made available in our very lives. So Lord, I pray that we'd live that and that we would not let up and get complacent just because we know we win. But Lord, we'd push harder. We'd go farther. We'd get uncomfortable for you. We'd take steps of faith that we never thought we would do, all because there's so much more to gain. Lord, there's souls out there that are on the line. Lord, we want to do something about that. We want to expand your family and your kingdom. And Lord, as we're praying right now, all these things, I'd like to make an, an opportunity for someone that may be here today just saying, you know what? I want that. I want in on that. I want to know that I'm a Christian. I want to know that that resurrection power is available for me, that I'm going to live forever with a new transformed body when I die, that I have hope of heaven and hope in life, and that even in, starting now, the mighty power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead would be made available to me in my life because God knows I need it. And if that's you sitting here this morning, I would love to lead you in a prayer that would make God the Lord of your life, that would make Jesus your Savior, that would make the Holy Spirit your empowerer for this life so you could have victory. And if you want to become a Christian right now and really know it and own it and live in it, I want to say a prayer right now. I want to lead you in a prayer. How we're going to do it is I'm going to pray out loud. I'm going to ask you to pray in your heart of hearts because God judges you in your heart. He's listening. He's hearing your heart right now. But if you would agree with what I'm saying out loud in your heart right now as we pray this together, then you'll be taking that first step to say, yes, God, I want in and I want all that you have for me. And how we're going to do it is I'm just going to count to three. And when I count to three, I'm going to ask that if that's a prayer you want to pray and you're going to pray with me, that on three you would raise your hand just to let me know that there's someone here that I'm praying with today. I believe that there's several of you here this morning that are going to make this decision. So on three, I'm going to ask that you would just raise your hand. Everyone else has got their eyes closed and their heads bowed, but I just want to know who I'm praying with because I'm so blessed. Ready? One, two, three. Raise your hands if you're in the room right now and you want to make that decision. Good. Keep them up. I want to see those hands. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Thank you, Lord. Seven, maybe eight people here this morning. Looks like I see eight. I see another hand over here. Thank you, Lord. If that was you, go ahead and put your hand down and just pray this in your heart of hearts with me right now. Praise God. Father God, we thank you, Lord. The rest of the church family is rejoicing, Lord. We are stoked at the people coming into our family right now. We are so blessed at what you're doing. But Lord, here's the prayer. And if you just raise your hand, I want you just to kind of make this the prayer of your heart. God, I'm here this morning. I realize that I need you and that I want you. And I'm asking you, Father God, to be my God. Lord, I accept the price that you paid for me on the cross, Lord, and the fact that you overcame all of my sin, my guilt, my shame by, by dying on that cross, but then by raising up from the dead, by proving your power over sin and death and shame and guilt and all that stuff. Lord, you are a resurrected king. People saw you, and Lord, I look forward to experiencing that power in my life. Lord, I believe it. I accept it. I receive it. And Lord, help me to walk it out every single day of my life to be thankful for what you've done for me. Thank you that I don't have to fear death anymore, but what you have in store is far greater, Lord. Thank you for all that you have for me, Lord. I promise to read my Bible, Lord. I promise to talk to you in prayer that now I can have that intimate relationship with you. Lord, I, I pray that you would just help me to be water baptized and filled with your Holy Spirit's power, Lord, and to be a part of this church that believes in you and trusts you for a better life. Lord, I, I thank you for all that you did in dying and, and resurrecting from that grave for my sake, Lord. I receive it. I believe it. Thank you. Teach me what it is to live for you. And in Jesus' mighty name, we all said, amen. And we praise God for those people that joined our family this morning. Amen. Amen.